Would you uh, join with me in prayer? Well, Father in heaven, as we turn now to the part of the worship service where um, your word uh, is proclaimed in its native language, which is heralding, while people just hear and are ministered to and are served because it is news, Lord. I pray that you would make me faithful to deliver that news with the urgency in which it was first delivered. And Lord, we pray that you would use this time to fix our eyes on Christ and his finished work. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And our passage today, it's, we're going to do it in two parts, but it's Mark chapter 6, verse 14, all the way to 44. Mark 6, 14 to 44. I'm not going to read it first, but just get there. And I just want to say, I want to say a word here to the children who are here. Can I have the attention of all the kids? I see some kids here. There are going to be some things that you hear this morning that you might not understand. That's fine. As you get older in church, you understand more and more things. But here's something that I think you will understand and you can remember and you'll be able to tell your grandparents or you can tell your parents afterward, okay? We're going to have two different feasts. You guys know what a feast is? Where somebody gets you, gathers a whole bunch of people together and feeds them a meal, okay? We're going to have two different feasts and they're, both of them are going to be led by a king, so the first is going to be a feast that is led by King Herod. Herod's bad. And he's going to have a feast. And he's going to have a bunch of people at the feast. And he's going to feed people. It's going to be a bad feast. And the second feast is going to be a feast that is, that is going to be led by a different king, King Jesus. And this is going to be a very good feast. And what God wants us to know very, very clearly is that it is much better to have Jesus as your king than to have yourself as your king or to think that you can do whatever you want. Jesus is a very good king. And that's when we are tempted to sin and disobey Jesus and to turn away from Jesus, we need to remember, Jesus is actually the good king. We should not want to turn away from him. Actually, what happens, if you remember the context that Jesus has just sent all his disciples to go preaching around Israel. They're preaching around Israel. Pastor Jordan read this for us last time and he preached this. They're preaching around Israel and it's actually quite amazing. As they're preaching, they're getting a lot of attention. Lots of people are hearing what they're saying about Jesus. They're doing miracles. They're casting out Satan. He, they're just kicking him out of places. They're healing the sick. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And they're essentially proclaiming that Jesus is king and that Jesus is the rescuer of sinners. And word is spreading all around Israel. And people are, uh, people are hearing this and they're figuring out what's going on. All these miracles, who is this Jesus guy? And so people start coming up with, with theories as to the ideas. They, they use their imaginations. Well, who is Jesus? Well, well maybe, maybe he's John the Baptist. John the Baptist died, and then maybe he rose from the dead, and this is John the Baptist. Maybe that's why he can do miracles. Other people were saying, no, it's Elijah. Elijah, who died a long time ago, maybe he's been raised from the dead. And other people are saying, well, maybe it's just a new prophet like the ones of old. 
And then King Herod hears about what's happening with Jesus' disciples. How they're announcing a new king in all of Israel. And Herod is panicking. Herod is panicking. Herod hears all these ideas about who it might be. And he's like, it's got to be John. It must be John. And why was Herod afraid about John? Because he was the one who killed John. He killed John because John told him that what he was doing was sinful. He had taken his brother's wife and and John told him, John the Baptist told him, you're not supposed to do that. You should turn away from that sin. You should run away from that sin and Jesus will rescue you. He'll forgive you, but you have to turn away from that sin and you can trust in Jesus. And Herod killed John. Herod killed John and he did so at a feast. Herod put on a big feast for all of his important people in the land. He invited all the important people who could pay him back. And at this feast, that's where he killed John. And then after this, when the disciples come back to Jesus, they tell him everything that happened when they were preaching. They said, Jesus, we preached and people heard and we were kicking Satan out of places and he had to listen to us and we were preaching and we were healing people just by, by, by preaching the name of Jesus. And then Jesus said, come away with me. And Jesus took the disciples to a deserted place, not in the city, not in the town, far away from all the food that they could get. And he said, let's relax a bit together. But all the crowds followed them to this place. And Jesus looked at them and he had compassion on the crowd and he started teaching them all kinds of things about himself and about God and about the Bible. And then it got time for them to eat and the disciples were like, Jesus, there's not enough food. You have to send these people away. And Jesus said, you're going to feed them. And he said, they said, we don't have enough food. And Jesus said, how much food do you have? And they said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And they gave that to Jesus. And he said, set everybody up, organize people in groups of 50, in groups of 100. And then Jesus took the bread and the fish and he prayed to God. And then he got the disciples to hand it out to everyone. And at the end, everybody was full. You guys ever remember eating, eating a meal and you're just so full you can't eat anymore? Remember that? Yeah. Everyone was like that. And there was 12 basketfuls of, of food left over. And they said, well, we better count everybody. And there was, they just counted. They, there was too many people. They couldn't count everybody. They just counted the dads. The moms and the kids, they just were just going to count how many families there were there. And there was 5,000 families. Jesus had an incredible, incredible feast. Whose feast would you rather have been at? Herod's feast where they rebelled against God and somebody died? Or Jesus' feast where he really takes care of his people? Let's read it from Scripture. Mark chapter 6, we'll start reading it. Verse 14, and we're going to read all the way to 29 in this little shot. King Herod heard of it, the preaching of the apostles around Israel. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. 
But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and she wanted to put him to death, but she couldn't. For Herod, was, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous man and a holy man and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. When, for when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, and, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Thus far, God's word. Our first point is this. Very helpful for us to realize Herod's insincere religiosity. Herod's insincere religiosity. Herod's insincere religiosity. Herod was kind of religious. Didn't you notice this? He's a little superstitious. He's not a little stitious. He's superstitious. All right? Christ's fame had spread, and he had already killed. He, uh, and, and so uh, he had heard, he, he hears of John the Baptist, and, and uh, Herod had, he had killed John the Baptist, and why did he kill John the Baptist? John the Baptist was warning him about sin. Now, here's the first thing. Why did Herod want to kill John the Baptist? Well, first of all, he didn't want to kill John the Baptist. Did you notice that? He didn't want to kill John the Baptist. But John the Baptist was preaching against Herod because Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife. His brother Philip had a wife named Herodias, and he took her. Now, it's not sinful to marry your brother's widow if your brother has married a wife, and then he dies, it wouldn't be wrong to marry your brother's widow. It would actually be a nice, uh, an act of compassion. It could be a good thing. What would be wrong is if you killed your brother in order to get his wife, very much like David did with Bathsheba and Uriah. It would also be sinful to marry your brother's wife if he was still alive. John's preaching declared, John the Baptist declared that God was king of Israel not Herod. He preached that every single person was under the authority of God and under his law, and that everyone should seek salvation by running away from their sin and running to the Messiah, running to Jesus Christ. Running 
from their sin to Jesus who would pay for their sin and rescue them from it. Now, John's preaching exposed Herod's sin. It's imaginable that in that day and age, people might have assumed it's okay for, like, for us, it would be wrong to do, but the king, the king actually, the king gets to make the rules, and so it's okay. If he wants to do it, it would be wrong for me, but it would be okay for the king. But John said, no. God is the king of kings. And so what Herod is doing is sinful. John reminded the people that everyone is under the kingdom of God. The law of God is unchangeable no matter what a king says. The king of Israel cannot change the law of God. The king of Rome can't change the law of God. And the ruler of Canada cannot change the law of God. The law of God is the law of God. Your laws don't change God's laws. Everyone has to submit to God. So not only was the king, was Herod angry, because, you're, hey, you're telling everybody I'm sinning. I don't like that. But there was a woman who really liked what Herod did. And that was actually his brother, Herod, his brother Philip's wife. She really liked what he did. She really wanted to be Herod's, Herod's wife. Herodias, this woman, was not a victim. If Herod repented, if he submitted to the king of kings, she was afraid she'd lose her position of honor. She really liked being the queen. And she controlled Herod by lust. If you want me, then you're going to have to, uh, you want me, so you're going to have to obey me. So she basically was acting like the king. But if God was Herod's king, she would lose that control over Herod. Here's, here's one of the things we learn here. Loving your sin makes you hate goodness and honesty. If you choose to love sin, if you don't repent of loving sin, it will make you hate honesty. It will make you hate people who tell the truth. It will make you hate them. Now, Herod made a compromise. So this is Herod's plan. I'm going to put, I'm going to put uh, John the Baptist in jail so that people can't hear him preach and that nobody hears that I'm sinning because I don't want people to hear that I'm sinning. Uh, but I'm not going to kill him. So he's going to keep John from telling the people uh, the, uh, his sin. But he would actually keep John in the prison. He'd go visit him, right? He had a little bit of religion. Herod was religious, but on his own terms. He was interested in God things. He was entertained by them. He was, it says, intrigued by them or fascinated. He thought maybe they were helpful. But he wasn't interested in learning about God so he could submit to God, so he could worship God, so he could belong to God. Uh, and he thought to himself, I'm not that bad. I wouldn't kill a prophet. You know, people are bad. But I'm not that bad. I wouldn't kill a prophet. This is a very helpful picture for us to compare ourselves to. I wonder, do you have the same interest in God as Herod does? Do you come to church because it's interesting? You know, I'm interested in, in, in spiritual things. I, I, you know, I think that maybe it can like, it could help my life a little bit, give me a new perspective. I kind of like the religious thing. I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. I like to learn things from Jesus. I think that he's a very wise person. Maybe it's kind of like superstition. I, if I do this, then maybe I, I, good things will happen to me. 
But you don't, you don't come to church because you want to have Jesus as your king. You want to belong to him. If that's, if that's the case, then your interest in religion is the same as Herod. And eventually, God is going to make you choose. Is this just an interest in me, or are you really worshiping your own sin? And so God did bring that to happen for Herod. Herod's plan of, oh, no, no, I'm not going to kill a prophet, but I'm going to control him. I want to be interested in religion. I just don't want to submit to God. I don't want to act like God is my king. And so God sets up this plan, and Herodias, it says, finds her opportunity when Herod has a big feast for all the important people in the land. And that's our second point. A wicked feast held by a selfish king. A wicked feast held by a selfish king. So Herod's plan to be interested in God, but not a worshiper of God, is ruined. And he throws a banquet. Who did he invite to that banquet? Did you notice who did he invite to the, the banquet? He invited the nobles and the commanders and the leading men. Now, this was not a feast for them. He invited people for his own benefit. Why would Herod have invited all the important and rich people? Why? Because he wanted them to like him so that they could do good things for him. It was a very selfish feast. It's for, it's for him, not for them. It's for his own gain, not for theirs. And so he holds this selfish feast and he permits himself to be pleased by sin. He gets his, either it's his daughter or it's his stepdaughter, he gets her to dance in a way that's very sinful in front of all the men and they allow themselves to, be, to enjoy this. It's pretty wicked that he does this. Now, we shouldn't be surprised we shouldn't be surprised when sin is enjoyable to us. We shouldn't be surprised by that. The question is, will you organize your life around it? Will you celebrate sin? Will you give yourself to it? Or will you turn away from it? Because sin is a very cruel master. It's going to take more than you thought you were going to give it. Sin is a very cruel master, and it's going to take from you much more than you thought you were going to give it. And so Herod was a worshiper, but the thing he worshipped very clearly is he loved the praise of men. That's why he invited all these people. He wanted their praise. He wanted them to love him, and so he was addicted to their, uh, their praise of him, their approval. But he had also another idolatry, which was obviously sexual pleasure. And so this is why he had this, this girl dance. And so what he did is all these sinful things caused him to offer up his whole life on that altar. No, no, no. He thought he's, he's just going to offer half his kingdom. He's not going to give his whole life. He's not going to say, I'll sell my whole self to sin. Just half. But what happens, dear friends, is that when you agree to sin, when you give yourself over to sin, what you're doing is you're writing a blank check. You can't say, oh, I'm going to sin, but it's not going to take everything from me. 
So Christians and guests, consider what the world is offering to you. Think about what the world is now offering to you, the sinful world is offering to you. Maybe even what your own lusts or your own pleasures are offering to you. Think about what the good things that they're promising you. What will they tell you that you need to sacrifice on pr- for pride or for sexual pleasure? Maybe you could get the praise of men, but what would you have to give up? Maybe you could have some sexual pleasure, but what would you have to give up? Would you have to give up God's good design for a lifelong marriage and children and grandchildren? Is that what you're going to give up? What are you going to give up eternally? And what would you give that up for? A promise that you're going to have more or better sexual pleasure? And even that promise, the world is often not even going to give you. It's just going to promise you that. Giving yourself over to any particular sin is like handing it a blank check. And we should not be surprised if that blank check is cashed when it takes everything. Sin, the Bible says, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so there's the opportunity seized. Herodias tells her daughter, here's what you should ask for. And she asks for John the Baptist's head on a platter. It's interesting that John the Baptist's head is served on a platter, on a dish. It's giving us this imagery of a banquet. It's a gruesome, a gruesome dish. This isn't what Herod wanted. This isn't his plan. When he engaged his sin, he didn't think, oh, and then I'm going to kill Herod. Then I'm going to kill John the Baptist. He never imagined. It was the thing he was very terrified of is killing John the Baptist. John was superstitious of God, but he did not fear him. But dear friends, if you're thinking you could be a worshiper of God and a worshiper of sin, you're foolish. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to despise the one and you're going to love the other. And in that moment, we see very clearly, what did Herod fear more? Did he fear God more or did he fear man more? He feared those men that he had invited more than he feared God. And he did something he never thought he would do. And so John the Baptist died that day. His head was offered on a platter as a mock meal at a feast for a very selfish king. And his body was taken carefully by his disciples and they buried it. And they buried it in the sure hope that his body would be raised from the dead. And his soul went directly to be with God in heaven. On that day, who would you have rather been? On that day of Herod's feast, would you rather be John the Baptist? Or would you rather be Herod? A man who's now in God's presence, enjoying the pleasure of God, or a man now terrified that he was clearly an enemy of God. So dear non-Christian, this really is the way of sin. You are ruled by a king who has no interest in you. Being enslaved to sin, choosing sin, choosing your own passions and, and, and sinful pleasures is being ruled by a king who doesn't love you, but who enslaves, who breeds destruction and leads you to do things you never thought that you would do. Crosses lines that you'd said, I, I would never cross that line. 
And then it dulls your senses and your fear of the Lord. It produces guilt and it produces death. The wages of sin is death. And after that, you face God as your judge and you will be condemned for your rebellion. So matter whatever pleasures you maybe would have gotten in this life, and oh, that's probably not going to happen anyways because sin doesn't usually deliver what it says it will. Then you will stand before God knowing that you sinned against the good God of the universe. I want to say a word to those who are just interested in Christianity, but not worshiping, submitting, loving, belonging to God. Your future is the same as people who totally reject religion. You can't console yourself with saying, well, at least I'm not a pagan. If you're merely interested in Christianity and try and and dabble in Christianity and try to shape your life a little bit by it, your future will be the same as those who have completely rejected it. You cannot merely be interested in the Lord. There is only one comfort in life and death. And that is that I'm interested in the, no, that I belong to the Lord. And here comes the Lord with a completely different feast. Let's read verses 30 to 44. Here's the better king with a much better feast. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into villages, uh, into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So Herod is remembering his murder of John while the disciples are preaching two by two throughout all of Israel. Then the disciples return to Jesus and they're giving reports of their ministry, and they're, t- they're tired. They are in need of rest because they were kept so busy with the crowds. And so they go to a desolate place with Jesus for us. They actually escape by boat 
But here's the problem. The people see them and they recognize them on the boat and they see where they're going across the lake and they're like, we're going to run. So they ran around the lake and they beat them to the other side of the lake. They're followed. And rather than being annoyed by this, Jesus looks at them and he has compassion on them. Did you notice that? He sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he feeds them. What does Jesus feed them first? What is the first thing Jesus feeds them? And he feeds them a lot of it. His word. Did you notice that? He teaches them many things. He feeds them lots of the word of God. I want you all to see he taught them many things. It was a full, it was a, it was a rich feast of food from the mouth of God. It wasn't just one thing. He taught them many, many things. And here we can see how foolish it is to say, I'm a Christian and I just want the minimum. I want the minimum amount of teaching and the minimum amount of God's word that I could say I'm a Christian. No, that would make you weak. What kind of a parent does the math to find out what is the worst food I could give my kids and them not die? That's a pretty bad parent, I should say. Or what's the, what's the smallest amount of food I could give to my kids before they starve to death. That's ridiculous. God, in Jesus here, he teaches, and he teaches them many things from God's word. He feeds them a rich feast full of fine food, lots of, you could say, fruit and vegetables and meat and potatoes and lots of carbs, lots and lots of carbs, lots of gluten, He's feeding them so much food of God's word to strengthen them, to strengthen their faith in God. What was Christ's motivation for, feed, for feeding them food? What motivated Jesus to stop what he was doing and go teach the people? Did Jesus want to become more famous? Did he want to become more rich? Did he want people to like them? No, it says right here, what was his motivation? Why did he do this? Why did he stop? Why did he stop to do this? Verse 34, he had what? He had compassion on them. Compassion, compassion was Jesus' motivation. That was his heart's desire. To honor his father and to care for the people as their king. Now, how different is this than Herod? Herod had a feast and he threw a banquet for whose benefit? For his own benefit. I'm going to invite lots of rich and powerful people so that they can like me. And Jesus sits his people down for a feast because he cares for them, because he's compassionate for them. Dear friends, this is a good reminder again that sin and wickedness and Satan, rebellion are not for your benefit. These are selfish. These are consuming desires. But the lovely thing about God being your king is God can't be selfish. It's impossible for God to be selfish. The reason it's impossible for God to be selfish is not because it's wrong, but because it's impossible. God has everything already. God can't do something to get more because he already has everything. Some of you kids know a little bit of math already. What's infinity plus 10? 
What's infinity plus 10? Infinity plus 10 is infinity. If you have everything, you can't add to that. God cannot be a selfish master. He can't be a selfish king. It's impossible for God to be selfish because he has everything already. Everything comes from him. God does things for his glory, not to gain more glory, but to show and share his character that you might enjoy what he already has, enjoy more of him. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, the Bible says. He came to save those people who would belong to him. Who would belong to him. Not the way that you own a bike, but the way that you have your foot, the way your foot belongs to you. And then Jesus sits them down for a physical meal. So first he feeds them with teaching. He feeds them with the Bible, right? He's teaching them the Bible. But then Jesus serves them a physical meal. And who can tell me, what was the physical meal? What was the food that Jesus gave them after he taught them the Bible? What was the food? He fed them bread and fish. More compassion. Another feast. But they only had five loaves of bread and two fish. And the disciples were a little puzzled. Uh, Jesus, how are we going to feed them all this? Uh, There's too many people. We need to get rid of them. And Jesus says, sit them down in companies. Sit them down in groups. Sit them down in groups of 50 and 100. It's kind of like he's setting up for a banquet, isn't it? Let's organize these people. Let's set them down in an organized fashion. Jesus is really organizing this in such a way that it actually kind of looks like a feast. And Jesus prays and he begins to divide the food. And more 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 people are fed. How much money did the people have to pay for this food? It was free. Did they have to pay Jesus back? They didn't have to pay him back. Did they have to work for it? They didn't have to work for it. This is something that Jesus simply gave them. And what was the end of that meal? Did people feel really bad afterwards? No, let's read. Our our next point is this. Our final point, you can put it on the slide, is satisfaction in a desolate place. Satisfaction is maybe a, a, a fancy word for the word full. If you've eaten a lot of food and then you feel full, you're not hungry anymore, that's another way to say satisfied. The miraculous meal took place in a desolate place. When was the last time that God sat his people down before in the Bible? You remember your Bible stories? Did God ever feed his people when they were in a a wilderness? Did he ever feed them miracle food in the wilderness? Did he ever do that? He did, right? After the people left Egypt and they were on their way to to Canaan, to the promised land, God fed them miracle food. And so Jesus is proving, I'm not just a man. I'm actually the God who took care of his people in the wilderness. And Jesus, remember, all of Jesus' miracles are also parables. He wasn't just proving that he could feed people bread. He was proving that he is the bread. He is the word of God. He is the bread of God. Because Jesus came to offer 
the bread of his own flesh, of his own body. Because Jesus actually took on a body. He became a human in order to obey all of God's commandments for you. Because you've broken God's commandments. I've broken God's commandments. We have all broken God's commandments. We have all sinned against God. You know that rebellion that Herod was doing in his palace? We have all participated in that same rebellion. We could see how wicked Herod was and what Herod did. But we're guilty just like Herod is. We sin against God just like Herod sinned against God. And so we don't just need Jesus to give us food. We need Jesus to actually rescue us. And he did that with a human body and a human soul. And he, with that human body, he obeyed all of God's commands. And he said, God, let that count for my people. And then he offered his body on a cross. On a cross made of wood, there he hung. And he took all the punishment in his own body. He took all the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And he did this to give you life. You know the way when you eat food, it gives you energy? Well, when we get Jesus, it gives us new life. Not life as God's enemies, but now as God's children. Everyone who was there was satisfied. And that is proof, that is God telling us that if you have Jesus, you will be satisfied. We are all enslaved to things that will not satisfy us. The things that drive you, that you think about, the things that you are enslaved to, those things won't satisfy you. The temptations to sin, you think, oh, I better do this in order to be jo- have joy and be satisfied. And you know that's a lie. Think about it. It's going to lead to guilt and it's going to lead to more slavery. It's going to lead ultimately to death. And the world is going to promise you this over and over and over again. No, 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 no. This time, this time you'll be satisfied if you sin. Don't believe the lie. Only Jesus will give you true joy and satisfaction. And he says that he will give us what is most satisfying. What is the thing that would satisfy the soul the most? Is it food? Is it money? Is it friends? Jesus tells us what will satisfy the soul, and that is his relationship with the Father. If you had the relationship that Jesus did with the Father, that is what would satisfy your soul. And that is exactly what Jesus gives to all who eat him. And how do we eat Jesus? How do we get his bread? How do we do that? By trusting in him. By saying, I want to be saved, and I'm trusting in Jesus to save me. I believe that he paid for my salvation, and I want his relationship with God. I don't want Herod's relationship with God. I don't want a rebellious relationship with God. I want Jesus' relationship with God to be his son or to be his daughter. But we can come to Christ even though we have sinned greatly. Herod's banquet is just a picture of every time you and I sin. It really is. 
We're no better. But we can come to Christ, and he has paid our debt. This passage looks very strikingly similar to to Psalm 23. Let me just read that again for you. Brother Luke read it for us. Let's see if you can point out all the similarities between this passage and Psalm 23. You can read that. Find it in your Bible, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hey, in uh, the feeding of the 5,000, does Jesus use the word shepherd at all? It says he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What color was the grass that uh, Mark tells us? Mark tells us something about the grass. He tells us it's color. Very interesting. He leads me beside still waters. Where did Jesus and his disciples just get out from? They just got off a boat. Oh, they're by green pastures, by, by water. He restores my soul. He satisfies you. Oh, he uses the word satisfy in in Mark. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is half full. Oh, no, no, no. My cup, what? My cup, he satisfies, overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dear friends, do not be fooled by the world's promises of joy. Do not be fooled by your own heart's promises of satisfaction. Think carefully about what sin is offering you. Oh, I could get this pleasure. Dear friends, it won't satisfy. It will destroy you. And worst of all, you are living the life of an enemy of the only God who can satisfy you. Turn to Christ. In Psalm 23, there's this picture of God laying a, spreading a table before us in the presence of our enemies. That's a picture of God satisfying us even in this life. Even while bad things are happening around us, even while we have enemies, while the, the devil is trying to tempt us and, and turn us away from God, even while people in the world hate us and there's maybe persecution, he still sits us down and satisfies our soul. You can be satisfied and have joy even in this life. But we must not forget that this life is only temporary. This life is only temporary and there will be eternal life on this earth. And in that time, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And we can repent of our Herodness. We can turn away from our Herodness and we can eat and drink Christ by trusting in him. Dear unbelieving guest, consider the path that you're on. It's not a good path. Consider the king of that path. He's not a good king. And consider the outcome of that path. The damnation from God that you deserve. Your kingdom will be overthrown. Christ is overthrowing your kingdom right now. 
and your king hates you, and your pleasure will be temporary. And being real, it often doesn't deliver even temporarily what it promises to give you. Your end is destruction. Your enemy is God. Let the head of John the Baptist and the sorrow of Herod summarize the choice you are making right now. Now, dear believing guest and church family, your king loves you. Your joy now is real. Do not be tempted by other joys. Don't be tempted by the rebellion of Herod. Your satisfaction cannot be stolen, no matter the circumstances. Look at John the Baptist in prison before he died, and Herod. That night, who was a more free man? John wasn't controlled by anything. He was free. Herod was controlled. Who was satisfied? Herod wasn't satisfied. He was greatly troubled. John the Baptist was satisfied because even in the presence of his enemies, God was with him. Notice the 12 basketfuls left over. Jesus' disciples had just preached over all of Israel. All the land of Israel preaching the kingdom of Christ. Now the 12 basketfuls, now this isn't secret code stuff, but when the Bible talks about 12, it's always talking about the people of God, the church, the congregation, God's people. And what this is saying is that even after the gospel was preached in all of Israel, even after Jesus has preached as king of all Israel, there will still be so much left over to fill the entire world. This is making the promise that the entire world will be filled with the kingdom of God. That you don't just have to be in Israel to be God's sheep, to be his people, to be satisfied with him. The gospel would be enough to spread throughout the entire world, far beyond the borders of Israel. And look at us. You can hardly get farther from Israel than we are right now, can't, could you? We are in Transcona, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And here we are sitting down, feasting on the gospel, Christ satisfying our souls. And where's Herod? He's rotting. His soul is in hell. Where are those important people that he invited to his feast? They are rotting. Christ is reigning. And he's overthrown every single empire. And his kingdom is just growing and growing and growing. And it is a kingdom where the king loves his people. And he satisfies them. At, his, at the cost of his own life. He laid down his life for the sheep. Church, trust in him. And he will satisfy you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us a much better king than we deserve. A king who, who reigns for your glory, not for our glory, but for our joy and for our good. Lord, we thank you that Christ laid down his life for us, sinners. And we confess that we have participated in the same rebellion that Herod did. 
we sin, we give ourselves over to sin just like Herod did. We even sometimes show interest in you like Herod did, but often don't submit to you and don't worship you. We pray that Christ would transform us, that we would be true worshipers of Jesus, trusting in what Jesus did. And Father, would you, when we are faced with the temptation to sin, when sin seems to be offering us so much, Lord, help us to pause and remember how foolish that is and how sin will not satisfy, it will only condemn. That only you can satisfy and that Christ has given his life for us. We pray that you would do this in us, in Jesus' name, amen.